and welcome to the Fizzle Show! This is the Fizzle Show. I don't know why I do that air horn sound, because I think I'm DJ Khaled! This the be- we the best music! This is the Fizzle Show where we talk about things that are interesting to indie entrepreneurs. What is an indie entrepreneur? Okay? An indie entrepreneur is someone who wants to live life on their terms, wants to do something they actually care about for a living. So that's what we help people do. How do you earn real revenue real, and create real wealth? doing something you actually care about and real wealth meaning you know whatever that means to you some people listening to this show they just want to add a little bit to their monthly income others want to start a full-on big massive company both both require a kind of sense of what are we making who is it for what is the problem that we're solving both require intense amounts of vision motivation Productivity and execution, as well as not just efficiency, but effectiveness in the work that we do. That's what we're all about here at Fizzle. This is a Fizzle show where we have a weekly podcast every single week. We also have a membership community of entrepreneurs who are putting their butts on the line to build something that they care about. That is at fizzle.co. And on the phone with me today, I've got Steph Crowder. Say hi from Chicago. Hey, everybody. Hi from Chicago. Okay, that was a little on the nose, and I've got with me in the studio here, Corbett Barr. Say hi, Corbett. Hi, Corbett. Jeez Louise, you guys. You guys are really nailing this. I like it. Corbett, say Chase is the best business partner. (laughs) That's too on the nose. (laughs) (laughs) You guys, I'm so excited to be with you today because we have a badass topic for our podcast. Can I say that? I love this. I was talking to a fizzler named Harriet Morris. Hi, Harriet, if you're still out there listening, uh, who is from the UK, and she's got this great UK accent. And she talked to me about how the most important thing she ever learned in this whole entrepreneurship journey, which she's just now starting to get like a ton of traction, and it takes a while to get a ton of traction... If any of you who have gotten traction know, like, it's like, yeah, that was like, that took me like years just to get a little bit of traction. She's getting that now. And she says, looking back, you know what I needed most to hear about was how to not be afraid of selling, how to not be afraid of selling. Steph, what are we talking about today? Oh my gosh. I'm so excited to talk about this. Although I think it's important to acknowledge the fact that I know there's like a bunch of people out there who just heard you announce that we're talking about selling, or maybe they even read this headline and they're like, oh God, they already feel like, do I really get like, like there's already this feeling of this cloud of fear, even just Mm -hmm. thinking about selling. So I I just want to acknowledge that because I think that's really like at the heart of what we're going to talk about is selling and how crucial it is to everything that we do. And I'm super excited to talk about it because this is honestly my wheelhouse. This is what I used to do before I joined Fizzle. And yet I haven't, I was like kind of preparing for the episode today. And I was like, man, I, I don't really like use this stuff as much as I probably should. So I'm actually excited to go digging back into my background. I used to be in front of a classroom every day teaching people about this. And I'd be on the phones with people, like wow. having real conversations with businesses using these tactics. And I'm just excited to dig into it because I do think that... So it's funny that you mentioned Harriet because she inspired this episode for me too. We went back and forth over email and she made such a great point. She she kind of called us out a little bit in a good way in a, you know, I don't know, a, like I love when we get this kind of feedback from people where it's it's loving, but it's also incredibly productive where she was like, you guys kind of have this opportunity to debunk a lot of myths about what selling is because I think the way she put it was that we are a trustworthy crew of people in a world of BS artists. And yet (laughs) we've kind of inadvertently created like we talk a lot about content creation right we talk a lot about we have a course inside fizzle called start a blog that matters we talk about podcasting quite a bit and i think we have inadvertently kind of made that maybe a little bit too much she called it like the sun of the universe like uh, you know around which our business is orbit and it was a great point which is that content she the way she reframed it was maybe content creation is more like a moon really the true sun is sales because if your business isn't orbiting around sales 
sales, if, if, if people paying you money is not powering your business, you don't have a business, you have a hobby. So I'm just excited to like really dig into the meat and potatoes of what selling is, why it's important and why it's a scary thing, but it doesn't have to be that way. So hopefully by the end of this conversation, people will feel a little like it's a little bit more approachable and something that doesn't feel so crappy to, to, to have to do in your business. Okay. So today we're talking about, I love this, the way that you wrote this. It's like how to actually enjoy sales without feeling cheesy or manipulative or gross or all of those things that we're always like, like, like the used car salesman guys, do you know what I mean? Or like, like whatever, like why, why like that? How do we not be like that, but still sell? Because if we do make selling the sun in our solar system and do it without all the gross stuff that can lead to a real honest to God business. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, exactly. And in Harriet's case, her example was, she literally said this in her email. She said, I have had, I've made 300 videos on YouTube and I didn't make more than $5,000 a year. So, and we've talked about this a little bit before where people are like, honest to goodness, doing the work of creating stuff. And if you're still not seeing revenue, then there's like definitely this underlying issue of selling that we have to address in order to make sure that you're actually getting paid on top of, uh, you know, creating the content and doing the work. Mm, Yeah. Yeah, I love it. Okay, so where do we want to jump in next? What's the first what's the first place that we're going? Okay, so let's let's start this conversation because I think we've acknowledged that there is this natural aversion to selling. I think when people hear that, they're like, "Yeah, I kind of know what that feels like." But when you guys hear that when when, you know, Chase, you decided that today the podcast topic would be an aversion to sales, how to overcome it. How can people, I thought it would be interesting to talk about this. What are the clues that you have an aversion to selling? Like if this is, how do people know that this is a problem that they need to think about? So I want to turn that question over to you guys. I have some thoughts myself in terms of what to look for to diagnose whether maybe you have an aversion to sales, but how might that show up for people? What do you think, Corbett? Where do people, how do you know you have an aversion to sales, I guess. Where, where, where uh, if you if you're talking to someone at a cat, like you I know. mean, first of all, odds are you do. Yeah, right, <laughs> right. I think chances are that you do because, because most, most it's just human nature. I think. Uh, second thing is just if if you've ever been annoyed because you feel like others are self promotional. Yeah, like yeah. who are they? Like why do they get to like push their thing on me? Yeah, or whatever. Totally. You know. Um, and then I don't know if you if you tend to just kind of want to curl up in your own little hole and work on your thing mm-hmm. and not like go out and talk about it. Yeah, talk totally. to people about it. You know. Yeah, I mean, they, I think I I think of the fear that is. I, I guess I, I and I go a couple of directions with this because one of them is like kind of like what we were just talking about this sense that I don't want to annoy someone because I've been annoyed by people before. You know, I don't want to be that kind of yeah. ch- cheesy, manipulative, weirdo, like sort of like, I don't know. Okay, cool, dude. Like your slick back hair, like sweet. Got it. All right. My family are going to keep our lunch going over here in a place that's different from you. I hope you have people to go see. Bye bye. <laughs> do, do you know <laughs> right. what I mean? Like, I don't want to be that kind of annoying person. And uh, I guess I, I think there's a tendency to think that that's what sells sales people have to be in order to get the sale. Right. So I think of that for sure. What do you think of Steph? So I think, yes, yes to all of the above. In general, what I think what I'm hoping we can talk about what can be the center of this conversation is this necessary shift. There's a shift in perspective as well as a shift in approach where it shouldn't feel like you're begging. I think a lot of times that's what sucks so bad about selling is you feel like you are begging. You feel like you are pitching. Mm. You hear a lot about people talking about sales pitches and you feel like you have to nail it. Like there's that pressure of if I could just say the right thing, use the right kind of um, configuration of words, maybe I could convince people. So I would say one red flag for, you know, and this I think this happens to all of us and we have to kind of recalibrate ourselves. But if you feel like you are trying to convince people, persuade people, if you feel kind of like you're begging, those are really good indications that uh, we need to shift our approach and we need to think through. There's another way to look at selling. There's another way to embrace the necessity of selling that we're going to get into later in this episode. But I think that if you've got that overall feeling of, and uh, hand in hand with that is sort of, like this lack 
of confidence where you start to question, do people even need my thing? Like, what if they don't want it? You start to not only doubt that people want it, but you start to kind of doubt yourself and whether the thing that you're offering every, like it starts to spiral. So if you're in that pattern of feeling like you're begging, feeling like you're persuading, and then to the point where you start to question whether you're even on the right path, that to me would be like a telltale sign that we need to or reapproach this differently in terms of how we make sales happen for us. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, th- I think of that begging thing as like really the biggest one because that's such a big shift in mindset to go from sales is begging to sales is putting something someone already wants in front of them. Do you know what I mean? Like right. sales is is uh, taking better care of my customers. Do you, you know? And I and I don't mean that just as like a. I feel like that's a really cheesy thing you could do when you're wearing the suit and you're at like the you know network marketing event and they're trying to get you to push you know whatever it is they're getting you to push to your friends. <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's just something that's often said yep. in those situations. I think, but there's the truth is with Fizzle, I am really good at selling Fizzle in conversation because I. Well, because at least I, I, I've noticed that I am in terms of the results because I can tell if it's right for this person or not. And I feel like that is the biggest difference is like, right. I'm like, oh, this is, this is crushing it for like people are, this is changing people's lives who are like this. Are you like this? Like, for instance, do you, ha- you want to create something that you're like, you realize like you're, as time goes by, you're like not creating it every single day, but you still, you keep thinking about it. Do you notice how like that doesn't like, <laughs> you're, you're kind of worried it might not ever happen. If that's the case, then it's like, then, then I tell them about fizzle. And to me, that has been such a radical shift in, in perspective. So going from that begging thing to the confidence and almost conviction I have in that the product is a good product. Like you will, if you, if you, you will get out of this, what you put into it and people are getting out a lot, you know, I don't know. Does that make sense? That, that switch from the begging to whatever else the, Mm -hmm. the other thing is, I don't know what it's called. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's if there's confidence there, there's sort of just the under underlying understanding that what you do, what we do at Fizzle benefits people. We know that. And I think we're going to get into this more as the conversation goes on, I think. But Chase, I think that has everything to do with the fact that you are really plugged into our customers. You are having, especially yeah. lately, two conversations a day with people. So you are hearing their needs, you're hearing their pains over and over and over again. So the more you hear that, the more obvious it becomes that we are able to help that. So one of the red flags I think is when you become disconnected from how Mm. you can help, then of course you're not going to be confident selling it. That's when you're going to feel like a liar and imposter and like you're just trying to take people's money. So I think that, and well, this is definitely going to play a critical role in the approach that we'll talk about, but certainly being really connected to what customers are saying makes this whole process way, way easier. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So where do you want to go next? Okay. So I just want to touch on, so th- those were kind of red flags to look for or like what it feels like to have an aversion to selling. But we started to get a little bit into why we have an aversion to selling. Mm, and like Corbin mm. said, I think this is really natural. It is something that people are programmed with. We are programmed, maybe like even acknowledging that is helpful, that we are programmed to resist selling because I believe it's because we know how uncomfortable it is on the other side. Like you guys remember growing up and like you'd had the house phone and the solicitors would call your house, your parents would get really pissed off about it. And like, we just have always had these conversations in our families about salespeople. So we've been kind of like indoctrinated to believe that it's skeezy, that it's uncomfortable, that it just like, you know, people are trying to trick you. So to then ask yourself to be on the other side of that and to feel like you're tricking other people, of course, that's going to bring up a lot of discomfort because you don't feel genuine. You don't feel authentic. So that was the first one. You guys already touched on that. Mm, other things, yeah. other other patterns I've noticed in terms of why people have an aversion to sell I think a big one comes down to money issues. This is really interesting. Harriet, who we talked about at the beginning of the episode, she talks about this too. She talked about her shift, which you mentioned as well, Chase, where she was she eventually did some work kind of like getting to know herself better, dealing with some of her own stuff, which led her to now she sells high-end coaching packages for like 2,000 bucks a pop or something. She said a lot of that had to do with working through her own beliefs about money. And especially if you come from a background where money was not an abundant thing, you know, like you're used, Mm. you have narratives in your head. I am the person who doesn't make money. I am the person who struggles with money. So to suddenly kind of like have to be asked to have this confidence about taking money from other 
people, there's a lot of unspoken psychological stuff around yeah. that, which I don't think a lot. I don't think we talk about that part of it enough because it's totally significant where yeah. like if you've always kind of had this like fear around money or the scarcity and then you're t- literally like start to feel like you're taking it from other people. I think that will subconsciously hold us back from selling better. Yeah. Okay. Can we pause right there? Because I have a cure. I have a question for Corbett on this, this idea of, of people having money issues contributing to why they have an aversion to sales, right? This like, like how actually how they think about money is a little bit like, or the other way around. Say, you I have mean, money issues because you have an aversion to sales. Yeah. Okay. So somehow they're related, but I'm curious in yeah. your, in your own story, what has, I mean, I feel like you, you, I don't know. What does this make you think of? Uh, well, it makes me think of like some projects that I started yeah. a long time ago that I didn't promote much, mm-hmm. maybe because I had an aversion to selling, but also maybe because that product wasn't very good. Yeah, yeah. And once I created something that I <clears throat> admitted to myself that this is a business that I'm building and I got other people involved yeah. and really put a lot of effort into it. Yeah. Then the selling part became easier. It was more like, this is worthy of telling people about. Yeah. So I think that's part of it as well. Um, money issues. I don't know. If, I, I think it could be related, definitely, for yeah. people. But... Because when I think about money issues, I kind of think of autonomy in some ways. Like, I, I see you, Corbett, as from a pretty early age going like, I'm going to need to make my own money. I'm going to need to provide for myself. Mm-hmm. I'm going to need to know money. I'm going to need to know like how I'm, and I'm going to make my plan and whatever I want out of life. Like I have to make it right. myself. And so there's almost this autonomy piece of it as well. That for me, I was, I was like upper middle class. Like there was always like, I could, I always had a fallback. I could go to and just like, mom, <laughs> All of my all of my college funds for the, the months got taken for books, and right. I really want to go to roller coasters with my friends or whatever, you know, yeah. like just a spoiled <laughs> little brat. So I didn't I didn't have that sense of autonomy in the same way, yeah. at all, you know. Yeah, but so I don't know. Is there a connection there? Like, can you say that because someone was autonomous or had to be self sufficient when they were younger, because yeah. that's just how life was? Yeah. Do you think that that a person like that is naturally going to be better at sales. I well, I certainly see that correlation maybe. in some in some people. Yeah, maybe, maybe, co- maybe because you, know. you just you're forced to have to do it. You have to sell yourself in order to get a job yeah. or whatever. Yeah, which sure. is Derek Halpern's story as well. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to speak for him, I guess, but it's just like like input the name of anybody you know who's like that Jersey style of like. Listen, I have to go out. I have to turn one dollar into three. All right. That's what I have to do every single day. (laughs) Do you know know what I mean? Just that straight up entrepreneurship vibe where it's just, it's about the money kind of like, because there's a, you got to make the money. Like it actually like things go bad if we don't have money. Yeah. You know? Uh, So I don't know. I think of that autonomy as being playing at least some sort of role, but I'm not, I'm not entirely sure, but I think that comes. That's why, I mean, imagine being an employee, right? It's a very different posture. When you're an employee and you're just like, I got to get a job and then Absolutely. I have this and sort I, of stuff. And I think it's easy as an employee not to, you know, because you're just heads down focused on whatever part of the company that you work in. Yeah. Unless you're in sales, it's really easy to be very divorced from the fact that every company has to sell. Yeah, totally. You know? Totally. Yep. And you can't realize how important that is. Sometimes. Yeah. And salespeople are a different breed, dude. <laughs> they really are. You know? Okay. So Steph, so the money issues, I think they're bang on with this. The first one was like, uh, we know how uncomfortable it is. These are like questions about why do we have this aversion to sale? Number one, right. we've been on the other side. We have the, we have the, had these experiences where it's like a telemarketer calls us or it's just, it's just annoying and it's greasy and it's gross. And we have to like buy the car or whatever. And it's just, everything, everything just feels weird. So we, we feel uncomfortable being on the other side. So we don't want to make other people feel uncomfortable. The other thing you're saying is these money issues. Do I deserve even to make money? Who am I to make this money? These stories that we tell ourselves about money. Um, I love that. So what else you got, Steph? Okay, so the under the category again of like you said, why do we have an aversion to sales? I think very connected to the conversation you guys were just having about money issues and autonomy is this concept of self-worth. And this might be the I would argue this is probably the biggest piece of it where it becomes I think 
entrepreneurs, creatives, people who are doing their, you know, quote unquote, heart's work or your life's purpose, live your bliss, all this stuff. You you inevitably become really wrapped up with what it is that you're selling. And that's actually super dangerous. Like we need Mm. to call that out and recognize that because you just set yourself up to be devastated every time you aren't a fit for somebody. And if you have any product worth its salt, you're not going to be a fit for everybody. So this Mm. thing's booby trapped from the start. If you, if, if you see every rejection of your product, your thing as a rejection of yourself, it's going to become really, really hard to get up and sell every day. And, and that makes perfect sense, right? Like who wants to continue to put themselves in a position of being rejected? Like that feels terrible. So I think that we have to, and this is very difficult and we're going to get into some ways to shift this. But when you are really tied, like your self-worth is tied to the results of selling, you have to be able to take a step back from that. Um, mm. This is something I was going to mention later and I'll probably bring it back up. But this is one of the best things that anybody ever told me about this was this like catchphrase that really stuck with me. Someone said, sell like you're independently wealthy. And that is like, it, th- maybe this could be kind of like our, I don't know, transition point into, we talked about how it feels to, to have an aversion to sales. We're going to talk about how to shift it. But this idea, like if you were to imagine that you were independently wealthy, by the way, this same logic really applies if you think about dating, for example, like you don't want to be the guy in the bar who's trying to go home with all the girls in the bar, like that desperate guy, you know, like just use that as, mm-hmm. as an example, the guy that the minute he approaches you in the bar, you're like, oh my God, like this guy is so skeezy. Like he doesn't even want to get to know me. The If you think about dating, the times that most of us, I think, have probably done best in the dating world is when you were confident enough in yourself to be like, I don't really need anybody. I don't really need this. The more you need it, the harder it is to actually be successful. So it's like a very convoluted thing. But if you were to imagine what it was like to sell as an as somebody who is independently wealthy, somebody who doesn't need to make the sale, you're actually going to do much better because your own needs your own like self-worth isn't so wrapped up in that process. So if you're able to kind of like picture that, even say to yourself, I don't need this. Like I don't need this one particular sale to happen. There will always be more. There's always going to be more opportunity. You can kind of relax into that confidence a little bit more instead of that kind of like desperation, if you will. Yeah, which totally shifts like your how you do it too. Right? If you like if you're like when I'm at least that, that's what I notice in my own in my own experience personally. It's like a really big shift from like I need to do this the right way to try to get them going, like like to say yes to to a much more like sort of a conversational question asking sort of thing. It's it's really it's a shift for me between like is this the right corner person for this thing that I'm trying to sell or not? Because it's like the game is really trying to find the person who needs this thing. That and right. then when when then it's easy to sell them when they know they need it already. Uh, they because like you're asking them questions about like, hey, are you trying to get a creative project off the ground? Like, hey, do you have do you have like do you have some like creative calling that's like calling to you, but you you realize like it's not getting served in your life like at all if you don't like really go for it and just kind of talking and drumming that up because I think in, a lot of us feel that kind of thing and it's vulnerable because we feel like we're not one of those creative people. We're not one of those entrepreneurial people. We're not one of those, you know? So I, I don't know. I find, I find that if they don't have that sense at all, like I have no, I have no I'm not going to, I can't sell it to them. They're, this is not for them. They would hate fizzle. I'm like, what are you gonna do? You sign up and not join, not come into the damn thing at all. You know, it's like, right. So anyways, anyways, sorry. The point being, uh, the self worth, if my thing gets rejected, am I being rejected? I think that that's a really, really big point, Steph. And why we don't, we don't like to do the sales. Right. Exactly. And I have really noticed the wheels start to come off. This whole thing starts to come apart when you really just need it. You know, if you've ever been in a situation where you're like, I have to make this one sale. I have to, or, you know, I I, like everything's going to fall apart. I have to marry this one person that I just went on a first date with, or I'm going to be depressed. That is when like the stakes are just too high and it's unnecessary. That's the thing. It's all really in our head. I know how real it feels, but in, in reality, when you, when the stakes are that high, you just set yourself up for sabotage. So we have to be able to take the pressure off of it as important. I mean, business success, of course, is like of the utmost importance. But the ironic thing is the more you can kind of like take a step back from it and be objective versus really putting all your eggs in that basket, the more successful you'll be. Mm, Yeah. Okay. So what do you think about switching gears and going like, okay, so how do we overcome this stuff? 
Yes, I would love to talk about that. Okay, so I am going to just kind of bring some tips that I have in my arsenal. I want to hear what's been successful for you guys. You two obviously have a lot of experience in selling too. So I'm just going to talk about this big shift. This is like the big thing that I hope people will hear because every time, and and by the way, I think all of us, or at least I'll speak for myself. So I have a lot of experience in training people to sell, selling myself like cold call sales, 60 dials a day type environment, right? But mm. the thing that's really helpful is focusing in on this shift because sales, mm. I think it's like one of those things, it, it comes in waves. It's up and down. It's It can be really scary. It can always feel like pressure. But if you can focus on this shift, I have found all of a sudden you'll go, okay, wait a second, I can do that. Like this I can do. So here's what that shift looks like. And we've kind of hinted at it a little bit. But what we're pivoting from is from convincing people to consulting. So going from trying to persuade people, beg people like we talked about and like convince them, that's where that icky feeling comes from. Because the truth is you can't really convince anybody of anything. People make their own decisions. They can be kind of led to decide, but you are not responsible for convincing people. So instead, if we can see ourselves as consulting, Mm -hmm. we can see ourselves as being needs-based sellers. So that means actually listening. A lot of this is going to come down to like, just stop talking, stop talking Mm. and start listening. We talk so much about customer conversations. The funny thing is all of the conversations we've had on this show about interviewing customers, as well as the course that we have in Fizzle, it is sales. Like we just don't really call it that, but it really is because the more you can listen, and the more you draw that out of the people that you're talking to, your ideal customers, they are going to tell you what they want to hear. They are going to tell you what they need. And then it literally just becomes a, a matter of tailoring a solution that mm. will get them to a better place. And all of us yeah. can get behind that. Like, I understand why you're listening to this and you have an aversion to try and convince to convince people to do things. Like, that feels terrible. But if you can be someone who facilitates a solution that is when it like selling is really fun. And, and to be honest, it's like the highest of highs when you feel like you can walk somebody from point A, which is needing something across that bridge to point B, which is I feel better or I'm a better version of myself. That's yeah. what we're doing with needs-based selling versus this like forcing of the sale. So instead of forcing a sale and trying to make it happen, you're finding a fit. So you can kind of see this like contrast between the high pressure, high stakes environment versus listening, having a conversation, walking the path with your customer and just reflecting back to them what it is that they're telling you that they need. Okay. So let me tell me if I'm getting this right. You're saying the big shift here, and I think we've hinted at this a bunch already, at least I have, because this has been like sort of my shift. Corbett mentioned it when he was like, when I finally realized like there was products I had before that just, that weren't good products. Like I just, I don't think I was convinced that they were really good at this thing. And so I I would be like kind of needy in my sales stuff there. But once I personally am convinced, uh, have been convinced of my product's efficacy, I can actually sell with confidence because I'm making the shift from being trying, I I need the shift from, I need to convince them to, I will just consult them. Yes. The shift from, I have to make this sale happen to, I wonder if they're a fit. Yeah. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. A hundred percent. Okay. I love that. And now what's interesting about this is I think piggybacking on what Harriet's point before is this whole idea of we need to be pushing sales more because more, because people are hiding behind not selling, you know, because it's like really, really scary to sell to because you're putting yourself out there. Um, What I see as the solution to that personally, you already mentioned Steph and it's getting close to my customers as like, because when I start to hear from not only one person, but 10, 20, 30, 40, a hundred people, what their issues are, as they're trying to get their idea off the ground, then I'm like, get starting to get really convinced. I get convinced, right? It's like, it's it's like almost to be a salesperson for real. Like you have to be convinced yourself of the yeah. efficacy of your product, or the effic- or the the realness of the problem. Even if you don't have a product to sell, you have a blog or a, a podcast where you're create, creating an audience. If you can get convinced that the problem really exists, and I mean really, really convinced 
that there are real people who are struggling with this thing and you really wish they wouldn't struggle with this. You wish that they could find a way to not be stressed or anxious about this thing. Then you have uh, what I call conviction. And I think conviction is what makes any art and any business actually viable. I don't know. To me, I'm personally looking to live from that place. And I think when I do, it's compelling. And when I see other people living in that space, it's compelling. And the products they make, the music they make, the art they make, everything they make from a place of conviction. Um, not, But it's not conviction like, I'm going to try to believe this really, really hard. It's conviction like, I've done the damn work. Like, I know what people are struggling with. Yeah, totally. And I I have a big example of this. Yeah, do it. One of the biggest things, so just to kind of like throw it back to a direct example I have of exactly what you're talking about. This is something that we used to do. So many of our listeners know I had experience for five years working at Groupon, which was like a sales powerhouse. Like everything we did was sales in a large part. And one of the things that we would do is exactly what you're talking about. We would do these case studies where we would look at how using our service literally kept some businesses from closing their doors. Like there were stories about that where people were on the verge of closing down their restaurant forever. They used the service and they were able to not only stay open, but to become profitable because they had worked with us in a way that was correct and Mm. helpful. And there was no other sales juice out there like those stories. Like you almost couldn't wait to start getting on the phone and talking to businesses because that narrative versus all of the negative things you could think to yourself, I have to convince a business to do something they don't want to do. This is going to be bad for them. It really does come down to being in touch with the positive impact that you make. Because when you are face-to-face with somebody, you've saved their business. Or like for us here at Fizzle, if we have empowered person after person to actually earn a living doing something they care about, there is nothing like coming face-to-face with someone who you have impacted. So the more you can do that, the more you're right. You will believe in yourself, your solution, and that conviction will absolutely be there and power you forward to the next customer, the next potential client. Yeah. And it's not just, so when I say conviction, it's not just belief. It's intelligent. It's intelligent intuition. It's not just intuition. It's intelligent intuition. It's, it's a, it's a thing that's like, I've seen it again and again and again. I've seen, I've seen the data. The data for me is the problems, the struggles that people have. It's the, it's the little wins that people are getting on the path to being, it's the people who have gone on and graduated from fizzle and have real businesses now, you know, and we have things, we just don't have a lot (laughs) that ends up serving them inside a fizzle so they end up leaving but i'm like it worked <laughs> do you know what i mean it right. worked and yeah. i'm like we need to make more stuff we need to make another place where <laughs> where for those people so that we don't have to say goodbye to them but that that to me is the biggest personally I, that's my bugaboo about this thing is that one element has changed my experience of sales and what if i do the math to like where i was before how would I, what would I, what could I have said to myself? Then I would grab my, I'd have to grab myself by the shoulders and say, listen, you don't actually know what the problem is. These people are, are struggling with is, do you know, you don't actually, you're not totally convinced of what it is yet. You just need to have so many conversations with people who are trying to build their business. That's what I was building a product around and whether yours is like living healthier or whatever, having a better sex life. I don't know what your thing is that you're building to your fizzle show listener. I don't know what your topic, what your area of interest, what your problem is that you're going to, that you're going to build your thing around. But if it's not a real problem, you're not going to have much to build there. Um, but if I could have, I would have grabbed, I would grab, I wish someone could have grabbed me and really said, no, 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 no. Listen, I know you think you know what this is about. You do not yet. I can tell because of the actions that you're taking. You need to talk to more of your potential customers. You just need to, you need to waste this year on that potentially. Journal the whole thing. Blog the whole thing. Be a leaning learner about what you're doing and be really smart about, about like, understanding what these conversations you're having are but that is where everything all of the all of the firepower for your business all of the ammunition comes from those that that sort of data mining that's what i guess i i wish someone could have said to me i still don't know if i would have heard it though to be honest steph because like i was like i wanted to get my hands dirty i wanted to be out in the world i'm gonna be building some things and do it and i and i learned as i went i just did i mean i think that's what we all do is we learn as we go right yep absolutely Steph Cor- Corbett, what are you what are you hearing over there? What do you what, like? We're talking about this big shift from going from convincing 
I have to convince someone to like going, I'm just consulting them, you know, to see if they're the right for going from forcing the sale to just finding the fit. Steph and I are feeling like this, this to me, it resonates in my personal life is like, that was, yeah, that was a big shift for me around sales. And I would, I'll never go back to, to that. Cause I did the forced, like, sort of like, got to try to get this sale. Like Glenn Gary, yeah. Glenn Ross style. You're just calling someone, trying to convince them to buy a, a, a vacation property they don't need. Yeah. You know, some timeshare, something like that. Uh, yeah. And I, I don't know. I, I've never worked in sales before, but yeah. I, I think that's the point of this conversation. We're talking to business owners, business yeah. builders who probably haven't worked in sales before. And uh, I'm not cut out for that high pressure kind of conversation to begin with. So yeah. that's not going to work for me. Mm. I think when I learned in my consulting days, eventually I got to the point where I was in sales meetings, you know, trying to talk to businesses about these big expensive projects. Yeah. When I learned that effective sales is actually just listening, mm-hmm. that flipped a switch for me. Yeah, because you were at you were yeah. a consultant. Yes. Right. Yeah. 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 I was a consultant, but the the point of like trying to land a sale is to get as much information from the potential client as possible to let them tell you yeah. what they need. And at that point, when you start listening and asking questions to keep the conversation going. It's almost as if you've started the project already. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. You go from like, and you know, people have a natural aversion to being sold to, right? Mm-hmm. They don't want to hear you like convincing them. You yeah. know, as soon as you go mm-hmm. go into that mode, like, well, here's five reasons why you should hire us. Blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. Instead of, hey, tell me about this problem that you're working on. Yeah. And then they're explaining it, and you're going, oh well, when we worked on that for this other client, here's how we solved it. Yeah then suddenly you're just like a partner at the table already. Yeah, totally. And there's still the formality, of course, of like, you know, telling them how much it's going to cost and giving them the 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 contract details and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. But uh, I just, it, it just becomes so much easier. And I think the same is true for your business, especially if you're doing one-on-one conversations. There's a little mm-hmm. bit, of a difference if you're doing one to many conversations yeah. and, and maybe that's kind of next in this. Well, the, yeah. Uh, what are you hearing Steph? So Corbett just said something really important too, that I just want to emphasize because it's actually, so it, what's interesting about like the psychology behind selling is it, it really of course comes, comes back to human psychology. So when Corbett was talking about the moment you go into that mode where you're like, here's the five reasons you should work with me. That's because if you think about it, all of us have been at a party talking to somebody or maybe even in a dating situation where you're just with somebody who won't shut up about themselves like isn't that just the worst like you can't wait to get out of that conversation because it's like and you leave that conversation you go man that guy would not stop talking about himself that was the worst conversation I've been in all night so why would we think that that would work any better in sales right like of course our human sort of like alarm bells go off because we just think it just doesn't feel good you want Mm. all of us we in conversation we want that give and take we want to feel heard I think that's probably one of the number one like most basic human desires is to feel heard and understood so when corbett talks about just like that shift to listening i think that's exactly what it goes back to yeah i love it okay so this i like from convincing to consulting from forcing the sale to finding a fit from persuading and persuasion based selling to a more of a needs or authentic or no douchebaggery needs based selling something like this and then i'm hearing learning to ask more questions and be more of a listener than to try to go like, well, here, this, this script normally works, uh, is, is what I'm hearing as like, these are ways to shift your mindset about selling. Cause it's like, anybody can do that. Anybody can go, all right, well, let's find people who are my potential customers and ask them what's hard for them right now about this. And I can try to kind of, I can be putting together my hypothesis on like, so it sounds like what you really need is something like this, right? And then when your product mm-hmm. aligns with like all of the data that you've collected and you're like, it sounds like what you really need is this. And then you, that's when you say the thing and they're like, yeah, that sounds exactly like it. I would have been looking for something like it, but it doesn't exist. Well, it's like, well, what if I made that? Well, I'd start paying you money probably. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like that's that's where you want your business to come from is that conversation. So so what else, Steph? Where do we want to go from here? 
Okay, so maybe we've kind of had like the philosophical conversation, talked about some big concepts. Maybe we can kind of narrow it in a little bit and get kind of tactical, talk about some yeah. tips people can actually use. So rich tips. We, we haven't had rich have... tips in a long time. Mm-hmm. This <laughs> is going to be some rich, Do it. just the tips. I'm ready. <laughs> All right, we're going to get to that in just a second. But first, let me read a word from our sponsor, FreshBooks. FreshBooks is small business accounting software, and it is designed just for small businesses especially for all you freelancers out there, all right? There is a lot of you freelancers, and this is the service for you because FreshBooks helps millions of service-based business owners make everyday invoicing and accounting easy, fast, and secure. You have got to do your books obviously. So why not use a tool like FreshBooks that's going to make it so much easier and probably a lot more affordable than working with another accountant or something like that. Um, So here's one specific thing that it can do for you is uh, obviously invoicing. I mean, invoicing, they make these, they make invoicing actually really, really breezy. It goes very fast and it's very professional looking and FreshBooks can send late payment reminders to your clients automatically, which means you're not chasing them down for payments. I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but that is just the worst. They can also do uh, expenses and cash flow tracking, time tracking. They have a badass mobile uh, application for this thing. So FreshBooks is really useful. They're offering anyone who listens to The Fizzle Show 30 days of unrestricted use of FreshBooks. You don't even have to put down a credit card, all right? All you have to do is you go to freshbooks.com slash fizzle and enter fizzle in the how did you hear about us section. Our thanks to FreshBooks for supporting independent business and the fizzle show. Okay, Steph, tell me where we're going next. <laughs> okay, so there are, I brought six to the table here. Some of them I can go into more detail than others because I feel like we've touched on some of them more than others. Um, so we started this conversation by talking about begging, right? How crappy sales feels like you're begging, you're trying to persuade. So the first one is don't beg. I mean, it's plain and simple. And there are a number of ways you can be that person who's just not willing to beg for a sale as desperate as you feel. One of my favorite strategies that people can use, I was just having a conversation with some with some fizzlers about this, is what I like to call the breakup email. So this is a really good example of like just being the type of salesperson who doesn't beg. Have you guys ever been in a situation where you're like, you have a potential client or potential opportunity of any kind, and that person just falls off the map? Like, especially over email, they just stop responding to you. Oh, yeah. One of the tactics. One of the tactics you can use that's actually got like a super high success rate, at least in getting an answer back, is to send the breakup email, which basically is something along the lines of, hey, you know, I've tried to reach out a few times. I'm getting the vibe that this isn't going to be a good fit. Totally cool. I'm just trying to close the loop on this. So I'm going to go ahead and assume that this isn't a fit right now. Hope you have a great week. Done. Send. And that scares the crap out of people because they're like, oh my God, it's going to drive somebody away. But you would not believe how often that person responds quickly, like within an Mm. hour and goes, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I had the thing with the kids or the job and I wasn't able to get back to you. I'm still interested. Let's pursue the conversation. Or at worst, a lot of times people respond and they're like, hey, it takes that pressure off. They're like, maybe they just were hanging out in maybe land. And that's where you don't want to be. Like we can deal with yeses, we can deal with noes, but to have a bunch of leads that are just hanging out there, not productive for anybody. So sometimes you will get a response that's like, kind of a relieved response from someone who's like, yeah, you know, it's not a good fit right now, but I really appreciate you. Let's stay in touch or something. Then you can at least close the loop on it. So that's kind of the first thing is don't be, don't put yourself in that begging situation. Really get into that headspace and that belief that if it's not going to be this client, there are tons more in the pipeline. You've got to get to a point where you believe that because Mm. like we talked about before, any time you need that one deal to go through, that's when the kind of like pushy sales guy is going to, is going to enter the equation. Yeah. You know what? And if that isn't true, if there really isn't other prospects out there, if there really isn't like in this thing, you need to be not doing this business idea or this direct, like yep. that, that is just like, so either you just feel like that because you're afraid and you go like, all right, I'm afraid there's probably more out there than I can even imagine. And, um, and I shouldn't just like get afraid of, of that fear is misplaced. Mm -hmm. Thank you fear for alerting me that like, yeah, this is probably not going to be, it's not going to fall right into my lap, but if there really aren't those people out there, then dude, just walk away from this whole business and and, and come go to something different, go to something where, cause that's what you're going to need. 
If you try to build something where there's nobody already looking for the thing, it's going to be really, really difficult. So I love this idea of this, uh, of, of, this breakup email stuff, just as a tactic of yep. just knowing you have that in your pocket for when you're, you're either, whether you have an email based or call based kind of sales process or who knows what, or an email, even an email, like you can imagine this in an email auto, autoresponder sequence in a funnel of sorts. It's like, if nobody, if like, okay, if they get the first five emails and they don't click on anything, then send them this email. It's like, okay, it looks like you're not really interested in the links and the stuff that we're sending. So we're going to go ahead and, and stop sending you sort of stuff on a regular basis because it doesn't seem like a good fit for you right now, which is totally fine. Uh, we wish you all the best, right? You can imagine that kind of thing. Or, or if it is, you can click here and tell us, you know, what you're interested in or who knows what you, how you'd use it. But that, that seems like a really effective strategy if you actually can allow that fish to swim away, you know, catch yes. and release. Yep, exactly. Okay, so that was the first one. Just don't beg. Don't get yourself into that convincing mode. Sorry. How, we- how weird is it that fishing is called angling? Yeah, we work in the angles. I mean, why is it what? called angling? Come on. And it's just, it's just dudes like, just like from like long. Well, I guess we Who used knows? To, I guess, you know, maybe we really did used to survive by catching fish. <laughs> Sorry, Like Seth. those are real people. Those are real people. Angling. Okay. What else? What other uh, sp- specific okay. tactics we got? All right. So that was the first one. Don't beg. Don't go into that convincing mode. Stay out of that territory. The second one I already mentioned, but just to reiterate, Try selling like you're independently wealthy. It kind of ties to that first not begging. Getting mm. yourself in that headspace where you're like, you know what? Pretend like I don't need this. Maybe I really need it. But so try to sell from that place of all of my needs are met. If you need more on this, I would recommend the journaling webinar with Chase because there's a lot of affirmations that Chase teaches to kind of get you in that headspace where you don't mm. need your work or need a sale to make you feel good about yourself. So you yeah. can kind of do some of that like affirmation type work to support that. So that's the second one is sell like you're independently wealthy. Try to get yourself in that headspace where, and you've described it before, Chase, as like a thirstiness. Like if you're selling, just like we talk about with, if you do work from a thirsty place or a place of need, it's not going to be as meaningful, authentic, and just awesome as when you sell from a satisfied place. So getting to that point where you just feel, feel good about stuff, you know? Mm, Yeah. Love it. Okay. So that was the second one. Third one we also touched on a little bit is just third party stories. So we talked about testimonials, success stories for our own confidence, making us feel really awesome about what we do for people, seeing the success in our students, customers, clients. But of course, these are amazing levers to pull in sales, whether it's on a sales page, whether you're talking on the phone, emails, whatever it is, using third-party stories. Not in a, like, again, not manipulative, just literally telling the story of how other people who have worked with you or just people you've who listen to your podcast or blog, it doesn't if you're just starting out, you can still find examples of people whose lives you've touched and share those stories of, hey, this is so-and-so. They were at this point before I came into their lives through our partnership together. Here's where they ended up. People, I mean, this is why Yelp exists. This is why review sites exist. People need to hear that sort of third party testimonial. So Mm. using those in conversation to make people feel like they're not taking as much of a chance by working with you is like cannot be understated. So collecting those stories, not only for your own psyche and your own headspace, but also to reassure and show your customers what they could gain by, by working with you. Yeah. I love that. That I love that tag on that. The idea of, uh, of, of like collecting these stories first and foremost for your own sort of convincing and converting of yourself to like, wait, this is actually helping. This is working. And then like, so if you really are convinced by this story, cause I mean, I've been, I've, we have lots and lots of testimonials from fizzle, but there's like a whole other category when it's like, someone's going like, Oh, I like this. I like, it's like, it's finally what I've been looking for. And it's their first weekend of the thing versus it's right. their third year re-upping their yearly subscription. And they've seen X, Y, and Z gains and, in, and in, in their business and stuff like that. That's like a very, very different testimonial to me. Right. And I think it's way more effective in sales personally because of because like this like look what look what darlene's done like look at what tom has accomplished like look at what fizzle has been to this person or that person okay so we like this idea of third party stories uh what else what else you got steph Okay, so fourth tip is what I'm going to call do the unexpected. And this one is a lot of fun. So I know that fun and sales 
don't necessarily go in the same sentence for a lot of people, but this is one tactic we can use to kind of lighten up the whole process. Like this is just one thing that all of us can implement to, I think, break the script or flip the script where when we get in these conversations, whether it's on a sales page, phone call, in person, you we're all kind of, we have a role to play. There's a seller and there's a buyer and everybody kind of knows how this goes. So it's kind of fun to like do something that shakes things up. So for example, when I used to be on the phone cold calling people, I used to work something like this into the first couple seconds of connecting with someone. I would literally say, hey, I know what you're thinking. You probably want to hang up on me right now. You're thinking this is a sales call, aren't you? And it would usually get people laughing. Like we would just kind of, I would just sort of like do something that was really surprising. And they go, well, yeah, kind of. And I'd say, yeah, I totally get it. Give me 30 seconds. I want to I tell you about something I saw on your website and I would like customize it. But I would just do something that just broke the pattern. I was calling these businesses that would get 50 sales calls a day. So to do something unexpected in a world of very predictable, it helps lower that guard. And I think another example of that is us at Fizzle. We hear this all the time from our customers. How often do we hear people say in a world of D-bags and like just inauthentic, just BS, you guys feel like friends who are just hanging out, being trustworthy and showing up as yourselves. That's doing the unexpected. Mm. Now we're not sitting around trying to sell people like this isn't a big strategy necessarily, but it works because it's not what people have come to expect from the online business world, which is really cool. So if you can figure out how to do the unexpected in order to kind of shake things up and make yourself stand out, this can actually be something really fun in your sales process. Ooh, I love that. So that was the fourth one. Do the unexpected. Okay, any other ones? Yep, two more. Okay. So the fifth one, the fifth one guarantee results. So this is an awesome one. Um, I think many of us can probably think of examples of companies that we love. We've talked about them on the podcast, whether it's like Zappos or Amazon or Nordstrom, where you know that if something, if you buy from them and something goes wrong, they've got your back. This is huge. We, we usually talk about this in the customer service you know, sector of things, but even upstream in the sales conversation, just minimizing somebody's risk, standing behind your product and your service enough to say, if you aren't happy, we will make it right. Whether that's a refund or some kind of add-on to resolve the you know unhappiness that you have with the product or service. So having that, like just kind of injecting that vibe into your sales conversations, um, whether it's a sales page or whatever the case may be, is super helpful because then people feel like that risk is lowered. It's not as much of a scary decision to pull the trigger and buy from mm. you when you believe so much in what you're doing that you're willing to guarantee the results. Yeah, and it's like, so it that was totally takes it to a different category. It's barely sales anymore. It's just like, do you want this or not? And we can guarantee this. And you're like, well, I want that. So, okay, sure. Let's do this. You know? Yep. Exactly. Okay. You said you have one more. I have one more. This is my favorite one. And I'm going to talk through an example of this. So one of the best things I think all of us can do to sell better is to really thoroughly understand the objections. So everybody's objections are going to be a little bit different based on what your the nature of your business, based on who your customer is. But the cool thing about knowing the most common, I'd say three to five objections that you get in your business is nobody can really surprise you and you're prepared for any situation, which makes selling a heck of a lot less scary when you know what to expect. So handling objections is really important. Being able to like guide people through when they have an objection. So oftentimes when people, you know, we try to sell something, people say, I can't afford it. Or they say, uh, not right now or whatever that objection is. That's actually an opportunity to shift them to seeing the value of what you do. It's really just only an opportunity. So seeing it that way is an opportunity to educate people. So I will give you guys an example of this whole process that I have for handling objections. I recently had my friend Emily Williams on the Courage and Clarity podcast. Her background is in photography. She gave an awesome example of how she would use her platform to handle objections. And it's always stuck with me because I just think it's so good. So she was a photographer specializing in high-end photography. So think like beautiful photos on canvas, not cheap. Like you, this was an investment. This was not, she called them, her competition was the shoot and burn photographer. So those are people who kind of slap together a photography session, give you a disc and you print your own photos. So that's kind of who she's up against, that cutthroat price. So you can imagine it's an uphill battle to show people that it's worth investing in 
this like other, like much more expensive to the tune of like five to 10 times more expensive, I think, to hire her versus these shoot and burn photographers. So she was telling me that what she would do, one one of the things she would do to kind of help people overcome that is she would use her platform to educate people. So seeing objections as an opportunity to educate. So she talked about how she wrote a series of blog posts that helped explain why she, uh, photography on canvas is so valuable. So she talked about, for example, um, your photos will stand the test of time when they are printed on canvas. If you have a disc, you know, people are barely using DVDs anymore. Your photos are going to get lost. So showing people that if you would make this investment, you actually will preserve your photos. You'll have them for longer. You can pass them down through your family. She was able to educate her customers about why photos on canvas were such a valuable thing. So there's kind of like a four-step approach that I think Emily really exemplified here, which is to first acknowledge the objection up front. I feel like we do this all the time at Fizzle too. When people have an objection, we say to them, listen, we understand there's a lot of people trying to sell you business training on the internet. Like we get it. So that sort of refreshing feeling of like, hey, okay, this person understands where I'm coming from. Then reframing it and saying, hey, I understand you have this point of view, but here's how to look at it a little bit differently. I understand that you want photographs of your family at a really affordable rate, but consider this and kind of offering an alternative way of looking at it. So consider this. If you you know, are going to make the investment of this beautiful moment in time of your family, don't you want it to stand the test of time? Don't you want it to be able to be displayed beautifully in your home when people come in and something that you can look at and treasure every single day? So that's kind of making sure you answer that objection head on. And then pivoting. So pivoting them to the next step in your process that probably isn't selling them right away, but maybe giving them another option. Maybe that's getting them onto an email list or you know, providing them with another blog post that would be helpful, but kind of moving them along through that process. So you're helping them sort of see it differently. And then you are pivoting them to kind of continue getting to know you and continuing that education process. So they will then feel, I don't know, more comfortable buying from you and, and becoming someone who works with you long-term. Mm. So that's kind of like a little four-step approach. So it was like knowledge, reframe, answer, and pivot mm. as far as objections go. I love that. I love that's such a acknowledge, reframe, answer, and pivot as like a four-part process to handling common objections. And one of the things that I've done in the past, you know, we've got this great uh, copywriting uh, worksheet that that is just free on, on Fizzle. Uh, you just, if you search for Fizzle copywriting, we'll put it in the show notes at fizzleshow.co slash 227. It's a copywriting, like a sort of one page sort of sketch template for how to do great copywriting. And one of the big things in there is the common objections and figuring out what those are and brainstorming those. Because when you, when you really start nailing what those are and then you have a process for actually overcoming them or handling them with your potential customer, that is when you become a good salesperson. That's when it happens, when you understand why they would have that objection because you totally would have that objection as well. So yep. um, anyways, I love that. Steph, anything else before we look, we're getting right to the end of the show here. That's it. That's that's my sales class 101. Hope it was helpful. Man, this is great, Steph. This is such like a good, like a uh, good primer on, on how to do, how to do say, I mean, we feel like we're all working for Groupon now. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> and I love how, uh, how much this overlaps with other things that are really important in business, like, yeah. like marketing in general yes. totally. and sales overlap quite a bit, especially when you're selling something online. Yeah. Uh, sales and marketing a lot of times are really the same thing when you're talking about a landing page. And then also, uh, the customer conversations course. Yeah. yeah. Really overlaps with this a lot because you're not going to know what the objections are. Yeah. Unless you've talked to people one on one. Yeah. And this also overlaps with the idea of offering your whatever you're going to sell as a service first so that you can work through these issues with people and really understand how they perceive things, how your product helps them, mm-hmm. and how you might sell it to them one on one. So that when it comes time to write a sales page, you have all that background and you're ready to rock. I love it. I love it. Steph, thanks so much for putting us together and and walking us through this. Yeah, thanks for letting me nerd out about some good old sales tactics. (laughs) Super nerdy. Super nerdy. And Corbett, thanks for being here, man. Really appreciated it. Thank you. you, Just every day. Just thank you both. Just so neat. So there you have it. Fizzleshow.co slash 
227 is where you're going to find the show notes for this episode, all right, as well as the article that was all I'm going to have Steph put together on this. She's going to have to make some notes and put it down for us, and uh, and that's going to be a nice little like primer for you to come back and remind yourself over time. You'll be able to find that at fizzleshow.co slash 227. Here's a hilarious iTunes rating from Dave Haley in Canada who says, Amazingly good, the opposite of contracting Ebola. (laughs) To say this podcast will make you laugh and give you incredible insights into entrepreneurship is an understatement. It's like saying you will experience mild discomfort if you're infected with Ebola, except the opposite of that. I can't think of a pleasurable opposite experience of the Ebola analogy. It's, I guess, like saying you will experience mild enjoyment at winning a billion dollars. Yeah, let's go with that instead. This has become my favorite podcast over the past couple months. I've probably listened to 50 episodes by now. Initially, they gained legitimacy with me because they discussed concepts that were covered in a couple MBA entrepreneurship courses I took. Full disclosure, I'm working on a master's in science and not an MBA. For those who don't know, the MSC is a degree that fully qualifies someone to help people take groceries to their car, while the MBA fully fully qualifies someone to join an investment firm. The host of The Fizzle Show quickly transcended what I learned in school, giving practical advice and real-life examples on how to apply business strategies. Their focus is the so-called lifestyle business. But what they will teach you is just as necessary if you want to go the more traditional startup route with fast growth, investors, nervous breakdowns, divorces, bankruptcies, and the potential million-dollar exit. Also, they're interested in building businesses that solve problems you care about, not sleazy tricks, schemes, and shortcuts to buy a Maserati in a stock mansion full of Brazilian models, which, honestly, would be wonderful for single people or people in open relationships. In addition to being a masterclass in entrepreneurship, it is very fun to listen to. They have genuinely entertaining conversations that will make you laugh while providing business and life education. These people are amazing, and I highly encourage novice entrepreneurs or anyone wanting to start a business to try it out. Oh, Dave Haley, I loved that. Thank you so much for taking the time to write that note. That was so good. Dear listener, if you haven't yet, leave us an iTunes review. Maybe you'll make me laugh. Who knows? Just go to iTunes, search for The Fizzle Show, and click write a review. Here's a, uh, here's a little adage for you. Old school sales advice. Make a customer, not a sale. Find care, take care, serve hard, and dig in. Thanks. And I'll talk to you next week on The Fizzle Show.